Good morning, everyone. I am Pastor Evan. Delighted to have you here at First Covenant. We're disciples who make disciples, and part of that is cracking open his word every week and getting into it. So we're going to go to Psalm 111 today, and I invite you to find Psalm 111 in your Bible. Um, as we get there, uh, I want to just give us a little introductory note on this. Psalm 111 uh, is an acrostic psalm. We're not actually doing much with that, but it, curiously, uh, last night we were going through this wasn't by my choice, but, but it was funny when we did it. Old papers of mine from school, especially elementary school, and we found some gems. So I'm going to bring one to you this morning because we're talking about an acrostic. So Mark, can you put that up there? This is roughly second grade, I don't know, something like that. So this, if you're into retro, this is from the 80s. Um, and I guess I was thinking about drums at the time because there are drumsticks on the page. Uh, it's an acrostic. Now, for those of you that also don't know, I went by my first name, Andrew, for the first 18 years of life and then switched to Evan at college. Uh, so I was Andrew at the time here. And there you go, Andrew. Awesome, noticeable, delightful, runs into things. True story. <laughs> Eager and windy wind speaking. You are probably hoping that the last is not a true story today, is my guess. That first word, though, is useful, awesome, because that will come into play later. Not about me, though. Um, so I just thought you'd find that enjoyable as we get into this psalm this morning. It, it is, as I said, an acrostic psalm. There's 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet. It, it uses 22 letters to make its point with uh, each line starting with a letter. It, psalm 112 also does the exact same thing. There, there are one commentator called them twin psalms. So if you read 111 and 112 uh, in a row, basically 111 really focuses on the work of God and 112 really focuses on the response of us to God's work. However, we're just focusing on 111 this morning and there's plenty of chance to see the response that we should have to God in that psalm. Um, our, our response, yeah, our response is there in 111 and I think Tiffany just set this up really nicely for us, and the first words of the psalm set us up very nicely as well. But the, there are two outcomes I want us to kind of get to today. One is the point of the sermon, which is that God is awesome. He deserves our praise. Simple point, straightforward point. God is awesome. He deserves our praise. We'll give that more definition as we go forward. And the second thing, the second outcome I want this morning is I want us to take time at the end of the service to actually be able to praise God together. We've already done that in worship. I love that Tiffany had us just speak those words out and speak hallelujah particularly out. We'll have a chance to actually praise and thank God at the, at the conclusion of the sermon as well. So be prepared for that. That's coming. If we look at verses 1 and then verse 10, those are the two that we're going to look at first. It says, praise the Lord. I will extol the Lord with all my heart in the counsel of the upright and in the assembly. And then we go to verse 10. It says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All who follow his precepts have good understanding. To him belongs eternal praise. So you can already see that the psalm is bookended with praise. The whole thing kind of sandwiches in all this work of God. We should praise God for that. To him belongs eternal praise. Interestingly, as I said, in the children's sermon, we heard the word hallelujah. You were invited to say hallelujah. The first words of the psalm are actually hallelujah in the original Hebrew. Uh, praise the Lord. You can also see Psalm 112 has that. Psalm 113 has that. Psalms is broken up into five books, bigger sections. Book, book four ends with about three psalms that say hallelujah at the beginning of them. 
book five begins with three that say hallelujah, and then there's kind of skip a few, and then these psalms that say hallelujah. And interestingly, I didn't realize this until this week. That word is, is its own word. It's not a compound word, even though it means praise Yah, Yahweh, the great I am. That's what it's saying. But it only occurs as its own word in Psalms and in Revelation. You get variations of it all through Scripture, but it's only in Psalms, it's only really in this little pocket of Psalms, really, that you find it in this particular way in Revelation. Just a curious thing. It's being used for a specific reason here. Let's define the terms, though, that we're using this morning, because this is a psalm of praise and thanksgiving, and those two uh, terms deserve some definition for us. Praise is where we honor God with words, works, and attitudes for who God is. So we, we honor the object, God. It really has little to do with us in that case. It has everything to do with God. Now, thanksgiving is close and it follows on the heels of praise thanksgiving is actually expressing gratitude for god's goodness shown to us shown in his creation praise can include thanksgiving but by the time you're getting to that you're really moving into thanksgiving more than praise but it certainly can include what god has done what god intends to do thanksgiving is centered in that what god has done and what god intends to do both towards god as the object in that case as I work through this this week and, and kind of defining those terms, it does at some level seem like it's a distinction without a difference, that there's a lot of overlap between the two, but I'd, I'd like to point out that I think praise is still its own thing that we need to understand as its own thing. So two examples to give you. One, Job. When Job loses his family, when he loses all of his wealth and everything, and he stands there naked before the Lord, his words are, the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. It's not based on his circumstances. It's based on God's character that we praise God. Thanksgiving is based much more on thanking for something. Secondly, uh, I would point this out about worship. Corporate worship is a good way, way that we can find an example of where praise has to do with the object, God, and very little to do with us, the ones doing the praise. And that is, this was revelatory to me when I was in college, reading about worship and corporate worship, that, you know, we're not supposed to give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing. We're supposed to gather together in corporate worship. In fact, that's one of my main jobs is to make sure this happens every week. Um, and sometimes, based on the weather conditions, based on how we feel that day, based on all kinds of things, we may not feel like coming to corporate worship, but God still deserves our praise in worship as well. We are supposed to come and worship God, and first and foremost, it actually doesn't have to do with how I feel about it. It has everything to do with who God is and who he's called us to be. And so praise is something different than thanksgiving. It's based on the character of God, apart from anything that he's done. So praising God, it's important to recognize that praising God is an act that stands apart from our attitudes, but it will have a great effect on developing the right attitude towards God. Right? It affects us. Praise, praising God also is a check in our own lives against taking God's good gifts 
and forgetting God in the process. We praise God for who God is first and foremost. Hallelujah. Praise be to God. Now, we can see the thanksgiving part come rolling in very quickly, though, as we get into verses 2 through 8. So let's look at those.
name. Let's put those two words forward too, holy and awesome. You may have other words besides awesome, but that's the one we're going to use this morning. They all will point to the same thing. Uh, holy, God is uh, uncreated. God's apart from what he has created. And God is pure. God is untainted. God is set apart. God is outside of the system, if you will, even though he interacts with the system. God is not something that had a beginning or end. God is without those things. We are created. We are something underneath God because of that. God is also awesome, though. And here's an interesting word. Awesome really is an emotional word when you get down to it. And I can't take credit for this. This is the Holman Illustrated Bible Dictionary. I thought theirs was uh, the best one I saw. So I'm using theirs. Emotion is being in the presence of a superior or greater being or thing. And I was trying to think of things where, uh, aside from God, where we can have that sort of emotional awesomeness kind of thing in a, a smaller sense in life. And so here are the four examples I came up with, and you can come up with your own, write them down, uh, share them afterwards, about awesomeness. Uh, in when the first church I served uh, was in Indianapolis and had the opportunity to go to uh, the Brickyard 400, the NASCAR race there at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway and 43 cars when they get going and they're all crossing the start finish line at the same time, you physically feel it. It's an awesome experience. I mean, I like that anyways, but it's an awesome experience to feel that even with the earplugs in and everything like that, it's rumbling and you're shaking and the whole stands are shaking. That's awesome. Right? There's, there's some greater power in the, just a small sense, rumbling around past you. Uh, years ago, I was out at our covenant camp, Covenant Cedars. Uh, it was uh, nighttime, a storm was rolling in. I happened to be in a cabin all by myself, and lightning struck really close to that cabin right outside. That's an awesome experience. I still remember that very clearly. The emotional content of that experience is present. It was terrifying and remarkable all at the same time. It's awesome. Um, I was thinking as well, when, when we, uh, we were living in Colorado Springs before this, serving at a covenant church there, when the Waldo Canyon fire came into the city and it felt like
and I got hiss, smack in the leg, run away, hold on though, then she'd run back, smack you again in the leg, hiss, and go hide. She was intense, tiny little thing, always kitten size her entire life. She lived out of terrified fear for her whole life. We don't want to live that way. We want to live out of reverential fear. And the difference between those two things is that reverential fear puts God first. And the reason that leads to wisdom is that underneath that reverential fear, understanding who God is, that God is uncreated and has created us, and understanding that the order of things, wisdom means we live under the power and under the influence and under the holiness of God and thus whatever could be chaotic is made orderly and we live under his order whereas if we live the other direction if we live under other kinds of fear in the world we end up uh, living under chaos making ourselves God in the process that's not wisdom wisdom is right living under God fear leads to wisdom because it puts us under truth which only comes from God Jesus himself in John 7, 17, and 18, he's talking about his own words, but it applies to anyone who lives wisely. He says, anyone who chooses to do the will of God will find out whether my teaching comes from God or whether I speak on my own. Whoever speaks on their own does so to gain personal glory, but he who seeks the glory of the one who sent him is a man of truth. There's nothing false 